Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, certified religious transition and trauma recovery coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Hello, welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. This week, and actually the next couple of weeks, we are going to be covering some heavy topics. So just before we even get started, if the title of this episode didn't clue you in, this is a trigger warning for you. We are talking about triggers. We're going to be talking about religious trauma syndrome. We're going to be talking about all the things that can make us feel unsafe as we're processing through religious trauma. And this could be triggering not only for those of you who have experienced religious trauma, but anyone who has experienced any kind of abuse or trauma in your life. Just be aware that this could bring up some feelings. This could trigger you as well. And I want you to know that If at any point this gets to be too much, you are the authority in your life, always. You get to decide if it's being too much, listen to your body, turn off the episode, come back to it later if you want, listen to what your inner knowing is telling you, and give your body what it needs, okay? So if at any point this gets overwhelming, please pause. Please give yourself permission to pause and allow yourself to process whatever's going on for you and come back to this whenever it feels safe again, okay? Like all things, we get to heal at the rate that feels good to us. And we don't compare ourselves to anyone else. We don't have to be perfect at this. This all just gets to be a journey that serves us. So please, 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 please give yourself permission to really be in tune with yourself as you're listening to this episode and give yourself permission to care for yourself in whatever way you need to. All right? Okay, let's dig in to this topic because... Over the past few weeks, especially with Easter having just come and gone, and in the LDS community, we just had general conference over Easter weekend. I've had so many conversations with people on Instagram and TikTok about triggers that are coming up, flares of anger that have happened, panic attacks that have happened, nightmares that have happened, things that have made people feel unsafe, and that is the reason we are talking about triggers today, so often what happens is we'll be triggered. And a trigger is something that is subconscious. A trigger is not something that we consciously do. We don't consciously choose to snap at a family member. We don't consciously choose to have a panic attack. We don't consciously choose to break down in a church building or at our home where general conference is playing in the background. These are not conscious choices. What happens when we're triggered is in our subconscious, our subconscious brain reads whatever is happening in the environment, whatever internal or external stimulus is happening, it reads it as a threat to our well-being or even to our survival. And we are transported either emotionally or mentally back to the place where the trauma happened And the survival part of our brain, the amygdala, kicks in and creates a fight, flight, or freeze response in order to protect us and keep us safe. And so those of you who've been talking to me about outbursts of rage that are not normal for you or outbursts of anger or just defensiveness and you felt so much shame your amygdala went into a fight response. Those of you who have talked about avoidance, 
not being willing to go around family, not able to drive down certain roads where you can see the church, or hanging up the phone, or doing things that take you out of the situation quickly, your amygdala has decided that a flight response is best. And for those of you who can't wrap words around what's going on, or you can't respond to the situation, you just experience confusion and you feel numb, your amygdala has decided that a freeze response is best. So I want us to understand in this episode as we talk about these things that often what happens is we experience a trigger and then we often feel shame about having the trigger and we feel like we're a bad person or that we're untrustworthy or that we're awful or maybe there are people in our lives telling us these things about our responses and that shame isn't helpful. That shame doesn't allow us to look curiously at what is going on to look non-judgmentally at what's going on, and to really understand what is happening so that we can then deal with it. And the more we're able to get curious and non-judgmental with our responses, the more we're able to bring awareness of what's going on for us and to address the issue. So as we move into this, Know that this isn't to excuse behavior. This is to show compassion for ourselves so that we can move through our behavior. The more compassion, the more tolerance, the more kindness we can show ourselves, the more we can deal with the difficult things that happen in our lives. Also, Before we move into this a little bit more, I want you to know I am right here in the swamp with you. It is Saturday morning. I have been researching this topic for over a week, close to two weeks now. And it has been such a difficult topic because I still have my own triggers. Getting honest with myself was difficult. And so if you're experiencing difficulty, know that you're not alone. You get to live a beautiful, expansive, joyful life, even while you're still dealing with some triggers. You don't have to deal with all of this or heal all of this to have a beautiful life, a successful life, a connected life, There are so many wonderful things that are happening in my life, so many things that bring me joy and excitement, and I still have places where I'm healing. So I want you to know that if you are wondering, you know, is it always going to be like this? I don't have the answer for you, but I do know there are ways to deal with our triggers. There are ways to hold ourselves in compassion when triggers happen that allow us to move forward more smoothly. I don't know if the triggers ever go away because there are several of mine that are still hanging around, but I do know that we can learn to live joyfully even with triggers in our life. We don't have to be perfectly healed to have a beautiful life. So I hope that gives you hope. I hope you feel less alone. I hope you feel held and seen. And I hope you feel less shame and fear as we move into this, because that's what this podcast is about. If nothing else, I want you to have understanding for yourself, and I want you to know that you're not alone going through this, and that you're not broken. Let's talk really quickly about the word trigger. I often hear this word just kind of thrown around in regular everyday language, and I really want to get clear about what a trigger is and what a trigger is not. A trigger is not just being uncomfortable, okay? When we have conflict conversations, like I discussed with my husband back in February, when we have conflict conversations, you're going to feel uncomfortable. 
When you move outside of your comfort zone, you're going to feel uncomfortable. You might feel some fear. You might feel a little anxious. Sometimes you might feel a little shame if you're having a conflict conversation or a little bit of guilt. You might feel confusion when you're learning something new. These are all uncomfortable emotions, but it doesn't mean you're being triggered. When you're being triggered, you'll know you're being triggered because often the response happens before you are consciously aware of it. You find yourself in the middle of the response before your cognitive brain comes online and is able to make sense of what's going on. It's kind of like last year, whenever I was gardening, I um, had a coiled piece of hose that was behind a bush and I'd forgotten that the coiled hose was there. And as I was trimming the bush, as I lopped off one of the branches, I suddenly was able to see the hose and I jumped back and screamed and began running before my cognitive brain caught up and was like, oh my gosh, that was hose. That was a garden hose back back there behind that bush. I was already in that full flight mode. I jumped, I screamed, I ran before, I was halfway across the yard, you guys, before my conscious brain caught up and brought that picture to my mind where I could see the green with the white stripes and recognize that is a garden hose, not a snake. And then, of course, we kind of tentatively come back and look and I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. It's just a hose. There's no snake there. So that is what a trigger is like. A trigger is something we react to and we are already in motion. We're already either fighting or flying before our brain comes online and we're like, wait, what is going on here? If you're having moments like that, the chances are you're being triggered. Something is happening that's either emotionally reminding you of trauma or mentally reminding you of trauma and your body is going directly into fight, flight, or freeze to protect you, to keep trauma from happening to you again. That's different than when we feel just uncomfortable emotions, right? This isn't just about uncomfortable emotions. It's like it's like an uncomfortable emotion mixed with automatic action, okay? Some of my clients, for instance, will talk about driving past a church and having a panic attack. They are hyperventilating, their hands are shaking, their heart is beating fast, they're sweating. And it's not until maybe a few minutes later that they recognize, I just drove past the church. Their body reacts as if they are right in the middle of the trauma again, and they're preparing for fight, flight, or freeze. Okay, so I hope that makes sense. If it doesn't, please Instagram me. We can talk about this more. You can email me. We'll talk. But triggers are very automatic. They happen before we're consciously aware of them. And that is why it's so important to talk about them because so often they are just, they're reflexive. We're not choosing to react in these ways. We are reacting from instinct in a way to keep us safe. So we can show compassion to ourselves and gratitude to ourselves. These responses are meant to protect us. They're evolutionary. It's part of why the human race has survived and procreated and evolved to create such amazing things. We were able to live and survive because of this amygdala, this part of our brain that is purely there for our survival and the propagation of the species and to get our basic everyday needs met. So grateful for that lizard brain. Okay, Let's talk about where these triggers come from, because the triggers come from one of two places. You'll either have internal triggers, meaning things that come from inside of you, and you'll have external triggers, things that come from outside of you. So let's talk about internal triggers. So it's anything that's inside of you that reminds you of the traumatic situation. So for those with religious trauma syndrome, this could be like internalized teachings or beliefs. You know those tapes that come up like, you shouldn't be doing this or you'll go to hell. Or it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. 
things like that. It'll be these little indoctrinations, these little religious sayings that will pop up in your head. Those can be triggering. Being critical of ourselves is another one. All the shame and fear messages that we internalize that we then use as a taskmaster on ourselves. Those can be triggering. Fear-based messages from our childhood about hell or the rapture or being punished or lakes of fire and brimstone, losing the Holy Ghost, things like that. I don't know if you guys have ever found yourself doing this, but hymns you find yourself singing. I'll be over there chopping vegetables for dinner and suddenly I will break out into... There's a right way to live and be happy. It is choosing the right every day and I will lose my stuff, right? Like I will lose it and it comes from inside of me, from my own internal radio. Who knows why I started singing Choose the Right? Who knows? But that's what happens is I start singing a hymn and then suddenly I'm like, oh, or praise to the man. If you're LDS, you know that that is a super triggering song if you've left the church. So when we find ourselves singing hymns or things, that can be really hard. Phrases or words we hear ourselves thinking. This used to happen particularly the first couple of years after we left the church. I would sometimes finish sentences with scripture verses, or I would hear myself respond to people (laughs) with a phrase from the temple. I, I actually started reframing that and using that in a humorous way, and it was able to take away those triggers, take away the power of the triggers, because I was able to say, okay, well, I can use temple language and I can use scriptures in a sarcastic or funny or humorous way, And then I get to take back the power of those phrases. They get to belong to me in a different way. So you can do this with any of these things. You can find a way to make these things humorous. You can find a way to make them sarcastic. You can find a way to... You see a lot of people on Instagram making memes out of things, making um, funny videos out of things. It's because they're taking their power back. They're taking things that used to feel sacred and religious that are triggers for them and they're creating something that feels like they're they've taken the power back they've taken the meaning back from those things and they're using them um, in a way that serves them so definitely with any of these internal triggers feel free to reclaim those things and repurpose them into something that serves you emotions we feel So for instance, if anger was an emotion that was taboo in your religion, feeling anger may trigger you or feeling shame may trigger you. Feeling loneliness may trigger your trauma. Our routines. Okay, so I'm going to get real personal here. Routines were a big one for me and there still are a couple of routines that can be triggering for me, but in an authoritarian church where women were subtly devalued and where men were elevated and where I was told that my worth came from being a mother and a housewife, that that was the pinnacle of my contribution here on earth. The kitchen and cooking became very triggering for me. The act of cooking reminded me so much of my years in the Mormon church that it became something I had to start sharing with my kids. So my kids started to learn to cook. My husband started to cook or we did take out or I would cook one big meal and have everybody help me because that was less triggering. And then we would kind of eat that meal several different ways throughout the throughout the week. But the first year or two, cooking was incredibly triggering. The just that routine of cooking. Journaling. I could not journal. For a couple of years. That's why I'm always saying, you know, this is a great writing exercise, but if writing is triggering for you, then please use the voice memo app on your phone or find another way to get curious with yourself or do a processing session with a friend that can hold space with you where you can verbally process with them because journaling was incredibly triggering for me. It was something I did from the time I was eight years old and Often my journals, I even censored my journals often to make sure that people that came after me wouldn't judge me, that they would see me in a righteous light. And so even journaling, journaling felt 
very unsafe for me for a while. Washing and folding laundry, um, or really a whole bunch of just any of the chores that I did that were considered mine that I didn't want but felt I had to do could be really triggering. Driving past the church building. So our church building is on one of the main roads, and I would go out of my way sometimes not to go on that road. But if I found myself needing to be on that road, that could be really triggering. Just the routine of driving down that road, even before I got to the church building, just the routine of driving down that road, knowing what was coming, sometimes a lot of the anxious feelings of heading to church or the harried, stressed, my kids are crying and screaming and I'm trying to get there and be perfect feelings would come up. And um, those were things I needed to deal with. Sunday mornings. For the first year, Sunday mornings could sometimes trigger shame, fear, sadness, loneliness. Monday nights in the LDS church are what we call family home evening nights. And Monday nights could be very triggering because we used to have a very scheduled, this is family time, and it was very structured. We have a prayer. We have a a devotional thought. We have a game or something that we do, an activity to do, and then we have a treat. And it was very, very structured. And so Monday nights were a little bit of a grief, not because I missed family home evening because we've created other family rituals, but just remembering the perfectionism, remembering how hard I tried, remembering all of the shame and the grief I gave myself over not doing that perfectly could be very triggering for me. So if you're listening to this, I want you to take just a moment, pause if you'd like. If you're feeling safe enough to do so, just take a moment and write down what internal triggers are you aware of? And have these triggers resolved? Like I can cook now in my kitchen just fine. Cooking means something different to me. It's something that I reclaimed. And I reclaimed it through identity recovery, right? I realized cooking is something I love to do. I get to claim that as part of me, not part of my church experience. I want you to go through and look at what are my triggers. Or if you want to and you've been out for a while and you've been doing a lot of healing, what were my triggers and are they still my triggers? And if not, what did I do to reclaim that part of myself or to release that part? What did I do? And just get curious with yourself. So take a moment and just pause. Write those things down. Get curious with yourself. Explore that part for a little bit and then come back when you're ready. Okay, next we're going to talk about external triggers. And external triggers usually come from the five senses. The first one we're going to talk about is sight. And we're going to kind of just go down how this might look. And then I'm going to talk about common religious trauma triggers that come from each of these different senses. So with sight, it could be someone that resembles the abuser. I find that in the LDS faith, a lot of people are triggered by white shirts, ties, dark pants. I have seen two guys. <laughs> when I was in New York City, I saw two guys with white shirts on, ties, and pants, and immediately went into, okay, do I need to cross the road? How do I get out of here? I don't want to talk to missionaries mode. This was a couple of years ago. And realized they were just a couple of business dudes that they were not LDS. And when I looked at them closely, like that made sense. They were wearing an expensive watch. Um, they had the long sleeve shirt on, not the short sleeve shirt you often see missionaries wearing in the summer, but they had on their long sleeve shirt. One of them had a piercing in his left ear. Their hair was definitely not missionary cut and they had beards. But just seeing that white shirt tie dark pants freaked me out. It was incredibly triggering and I went into flight mode like that. It was so quick. And by the time my conscious brain came online, I was like, wait, these guys have beards and sunglasses and really stylish haircuts. And that guy's wearing a very expensive watch. These are not missionaries. 
there is no name tag. But sometimes we can be triggered just like that whenever someone looks like people who've been part of the abuse, right? I can also get this way, you guys, if I see a woman wearing Bermuda shorts or if I meet a new friend and you are wearing Bermuda shorts or you're wearing a tank top over a modest t-shirt underneath, I'm going to be on guard and it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with, I have to talk myself down from it. I have to be like, okay, this doesn't mean she's going to judge you. This doesn't mean that she's going to be harsh. This does not mean any of that. This means this is her style until proven otherwise. I have to like talk myself down and even sometimes talking myself down does not work. So just know that when you see people that look like people you experienced abuse with, it can be triggering and it doesn't necessarily mean anything about that person. It just means it's just something to get curious with yourself about and be like, okay, so Bermuda shorts and tank tops over modish t-shirts, this is this is a trigger for you. And just get curious with it. The more curious and kind we can be with ourselves if we, as we explore, the more we get to understand what's going on for us and the more clues we get about what we need to do or what we might want to do in order to resolve that trigger. So the things that I've come up with to reclaim and resolve some of my triggers might not work for you because I'm me and you're you. But as you get curious, you'll be able to feel what your body wants to do, what your mind wants to do, what your emotions want to do in order to resolve some of these triggers. And that's really one of the key and most important things is allowing your body to move emotional energy and to just like move physically even because a lot of times we have trauma because we feel stuck and we feel powerless and we feel like we can't do anything about it. So now as we move those things, it gives us that sense of empowerment again and it makes those traumatic things feel less traumatic now in the present. Okay, still back to sight. The object that was used to abuse. So if we see something that resembles or looks like the object that was used to abuse, So several of my clients report being triggered by religious books or texts, uh, scripture cases, vials of olive oil. Um, In the LDS church, men would carry little vials of olive oil and um, in order to perform priesthood blessings. So anything that looks like that, one of my clients reported being triggered by a bullet shell because her dad carried his his olive oil in a hollowed out bullet shell that was then on his keychain. And so anytime she sees a shell that looks like that, it, it can be really triggering for her. Um, and like I said, for me, journals. So even my old journals, I couldn't look at my journals for a couple of years. So journals, um, the journal section at like the Michael's craft store, like I just stayed away from journals. Journals were really triggering for me. Um, They reminded me a lot of my perfectionism and just all of the shame. Journals for me were about shame and about controlling myself and trying to purge out parts of myself that were not acceptable. So journals were really, really triggering for me. Since then, I've reclaimed journals as well. For me, what I needed um, is I actually wrote down everything that felt traumatic about journals and I did a burning ceremony. So I wrote down everything that I felt like journals represented. And then on another piece of paper, I wrote down everything I wanted journals to represent, things like healing and exploration and um, creativity and uh, expression and recording life events for my children. So I was able to put all of that on a new piece of paper and stick it someplace where I could see it. And the old piece of paper where journals represented shame and necessary improvement in order to be acceptable to God and um, just castigation of myself and all of those things, I took them, I crumpled them, and I burned them in the fire pit. And anytime I started feeling that way, I reminded myself that I burned that old belief. And this was my new belief about journals. 
And it took some time. It didn't happen overnight. But as I began to write in journals and gave myself creative freedom to be imperfect in my journals, to say things the way they were, to rip out pages I didn't like anymore, to draw, to color, to paint, whatever I wanted in my journals, my journals became something beautiful and freeing to me instead of something that felt like shackles around me. So reclaiming those things, again, listening to your inner knowing, listening to what your body and your mind and your emotions want to do with the trigger, and then giving yourself permission and freedom to do those things, to move in that way. There is no right or wrong way to do this. All right, objects that are associated with or are common in the household where the abuse took place. I'm just going to talk collectively about things in the home that can really bring up religious abuse. These are things from my work with my clients and also my work with myself. These are things like temple photos or photos of Christ, cutesy arts and craft family signs, or for the LDS church, a lot of people are Disney fanatics, so Disney paraphernalia can definitely do that, Uh, cross-stitching statues of Christ, um, art that brings up any sort of religious stuff, or if you were spanked because of religious reasons or whatever, decorations that were in that certain room might bring up things for you. Or like the belt or the paddle or the spoon or the switch, whatever was used in order to um, physically punish you and bring you back into alignment with the religion. And then finally, any place or situation where the abuse took place. So for me, um, we've talked about the church buildings and the temple buildings, Temple Square for the LDS faith. I went there to look at Christmas lights, I think the second Christmas I was out, and it was incredibly triggering. I think we stayed there for five minutes, and I finally was like, I can't do this. This is, I don't want to be here. And so we left. BYU campus. I went to BYU campus a couple years ago as well. And the whole time, like, I just felt tight inside my body, a place that used to bring me joy. I loved going to BYU when I went there. But because of the trauma of finding out what I found out about the church and then leaving and the way I was treated after I left, BYU campus felt so unsafe. I felt like I was on high alert the entire time I was on campus. I did not feel safe on the campus. And then we also talked about my kitchen. My kitchen was a place that felt very unsafe for me um, because it symbolized how the church taught me to think of my role as a woman. So house cleaning, cooking, caring for children, disappearing in the service of my family. So even parts of my house just felt unsafe, but my kitchen definitely felt unsafe. There was a lot of takeout and sharing chores for that first year or two. Or even places where your family used to gather or go whenever you were actively participating. So if you had a certain park your family would go to after general conference, or if you had a certain retreat that you guys would go to, I know that some of my clients would go to the Aspen View, I think is what it's called, but there's a retreat up near Sundance for LDS families, and it's supposed to bring them closer together in the church so they don't go to Sundance to ski anymore because it just feels very, very triggering. Really just thinking about things like that. And feel free to pause after each of these if you want to get curious with yourself. Pause and journal or voice memo yourself or just reflect on what sites bring up these things for you, what things that you can see are triggering for you and get curious. And are they triggering in certain instances, but not other instances, just all of those things. Okay, so the next sense that we're going to talk about is sounds. Anything that sounds like shame or fear could be really triggering, like tones of voice, whispering, etc., Any sound that might have been in the place prior to, during, or after the abuse happened, like certain music, like for me, pipe organs are a big deal in the LDS faith, so pipe organs have just lost their magic for me, and it can sometimes trigger tears or deep sadness. In fact, we just watched Murder Among the Mormons on Netflix with a group of ex-Mormon people, 
And it was interesting to watch everybody's reactions as we were listening to the pipe organ music queue up with the visuals of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, which their name has changed and I don't remember what it is now, the choir at Temple Square or something like that. But those sounds can bring really visceral reactions up in us. And it was interesting to notice people tense up, to watch people's fists ball up to watch their skin flush, or even to watch hands shake. Um, it was really triggering watching. We just watched one episode with everyone. It was it was very triggering for a lot of people. And it can be any other noise. So for some people, the, the sound of wind through the pines, if there were a lot of pine trees next to the church that you went to or the places where you would worship— or the sound of car doors slamming, or the sound of water, the sound of crowds, the sound of crickets. It could literally be any sound. Anything that resembles the sounds the abuser made. So tone of voice. In LDS culture, we have General Conference, which is a two-day conference. It is hours upon hours of listening to people preach. And there is a tone of voice that we often refer to as the general conference voice. In fact, some people would say that I'm using sort of a general conference voice here. We're, we're kind of taught to use that. And so this podcast may be triggering for some of you because of the, the tonality of my voice. And so you, you get to honor that if you want. If you can't listen, that is okay. If there are people that are like, I can't handle it. I've had people say that about my YouTube video. They're like, I can't listen to you because there is a general conference quality to the way that you're talking and the way that you're conveying information. And I get that. So that that tone of voice that's very like soothing and it sounds sincere and it's calming and yeah, that can be really triggering. Then there's also the cadence of speaking. So how quickly or slowly the words are coming out. For me, I didn't notice this until this last general conference because I haven't listened to general conference for a couple of years, to be quite honest. But watching that Murder Among the Mormons, I was like, I am not triggered by conference music or conference voices anymore. So I decided to listen to conference and look, I went on a bite model Easter egg hunt on TikTok, which is super fun. I'm still going through it. I'm taking it slowly because I don't really want to listen to hours upon hours of general conference talks all at once. I don't feel like that would be healthy for me, but I'm taking one at a time and, and really deconstructing it and looking for bite model control tactics in each of the talks. And it's been fascinating to do. It's been so fun. But I noticed that a lot of the general authorities in the LDS church, when they say their S's, they whistle. And it's like nails on a chalkboard for me. And then also really sugary, sweet female voices are really difficult for me. I call those primary leadership voices. So anytime someone speaks in a really sweet almost kind of a babyish voice, it's really triggering for me because those women were held up as examples for the rest of the women to follow. All right. And then actual words. So either words of abuse, if people actually said shame or fear messages to your face, hearing those same phrases again can be really triggering or words unique to the abuser. When it comes to religious trauma, it could be passages of scripture prayers, certain phrases that were used during your abuse, or even just words that your abuser used particularly. So in the case of myself and my clients, words like eternal families, angel mother drives me up a wall because that used to create so much perfectionism inside of me and so much shame. So the word angel mother, we're all just human mothers, okay? We all just get to be humans who are beautifully imperfect and we just get to be ourselves. <laughs> the words together, truly happy or true joy. Anytime the word true is used in front of something, um, it feels really controlling and it can, it can definitely trigger a, a strong defensive fight response inside of me, depending on who's saying it. All right. Smell. So anything that resembles the smell of the abuser and or the place where the abuse occurred. So... Recently, I want to say like a week or two ago, 
In one of the ex-Mormon recovery groups on Facebook, somebody posted a picture of a church hallway. And for those of you who are LDS that are listening, I know that you're getting smells in your head right now as we speak. As we look at the industrial carpet and then that shaggy, like burlap, woven, whatever that was, on the walls and the industrial tiles on the ceiling and the the fluorescent lights and the cinder block. Church buildings have a smell. It's kind of this musty, molding. It it doesn't have a warm, inviting, pleasant smell. It's got this like, I don't know, dirty, old sort of a smell to it. And for many of us, we spent our Saturday mornings cleaning these buildings. And so not only does that picture bring up this kind of musty, scratchy, uncomfortable, like both feeling and smell, but then you've got the bathrooms that were never quite clean because you had volunteers cleaning them, often with supplies that weren't the right supplies. And sometimes we would just send the kids in there to clean the bathroom, and we all know how well kids clean bathrooms at home, right? And that's where your mom actually cares whether the bathroom's clean, so... These bathrooms were not getting clean, and sometimes they smelled like weeks-old pee mixed with cleaners. It was just, yeah, just looking at that picture brought up all kinds of smells for me. And so I'm wondering what smells come up for you. For a couple of other people that I talked to about this over the last week and a half, some of them said incense, and I had somebody that said rancid olive oil. She said she was cooking, she hadn't used olive oil in a while, and she opened up her container of olive oil and it had that rancid smell to it, and she said it threw her into full-blown angry mode, like immediately, because that was the smell that she would smell anytime she got a blessing from someone that was really abusive to her. And so she said that that smell just brought up tons of rage. She said she had to turn off the burners, walk away, because that rancid olive oil smell just immediately brought up that trigger. Then taste anything that is related to the abuse prior to the abuse or after the abuse that has to do with something that you tasted. And this can be like certain foods. So for some of the people that I talk with, funeral potatoes or green jello are really key to the culture in Mormonism. But it could be holiday meals, food you ate right before or after you were called to a disciplinary council or you were reprimanded publicly in front of your congregation. It could be, you know how sometimes you can taste smells? So it might be more visceral than just a smell. It might be something that you could like taste on like in your mouth. Um, It might be bile. Again, that would be more of an internal trigger, but it might be the taste of bile or just like the taste that's in your mouth whenever something is happening to you that was really traumatic. And last, the last sense is touch. And it's anything that resembles the abuse or things that occurred prior or after the abuse having to do with touch. For me, when anyone rests their hands on the top of my head, I freeze up. I tense up really, really quickly. And I didn't recognize this until my husband was just standing behind me and kind of rested his hands on top of my head about a year ago. And I noticed my shoulders got super tight and I got super tense all at one time. But we have laying on of hands on the head in the LDS church. And it's something that men do to everyone. You know, men with the priesthood lay their hands on your head, but it symbolizes authority and power and control for me. And so having people's hands on my head um, can feel really triggering, even if it's my kids that do it. And so you might have something like that for you as well. It could be like a certain way people handshake or it could be the way people put their hand on your elbow or on your shoulder. It could be people standing too close or even the way someone approaches you. So something to get curious with. And the last couple triggers I want to talk about, I just want to explain a couple of things because this has been really confusing for some people. We can also be triggered by people who are connected to the experience. 
This is often why even when we have healthy and loving relationships with still practicing family members and friends, it might be hard to be around those people while we're healing. So even if you have family members and friends that weren't directly abusive to you, just the fact that they were part of the culture where the abuse happened can make it really difficult to be around those people. And so we sometimes need to separate ourselves from family and friends for a time that were that remind us of the abuse while we're healing. And and that gets to be completely okay. It doesn't mean that you're an awful person or that you don't want a relationship with them eventually. It just means that right now you're creating a safe bubble for you to heal. And right now, because they remind you of the abuse, it might not feel completely safe. And they might not understand that. And that, that can be really difficult sometimes. Also, certain dates in the year might also be triggering because of the deep ties to religious abuse. So holidays. Easter was so hard for so many people. Um, I talked to people who were Catholic. I talked to people who were fundamentalist Christian in, you know, before they transitioned. And I talked to people who were Mormon. And Easter was a very difficult time for a lot of people because family was like, come over, have dinner with us. But the religious significance of it, really difficult. As well as sometimes, you know, the taste, the food, the sounds, the people, like all of it was just really triggering. So holidays can be incredibly triggering for some people. Christmas was really triggering for me for a lot of years. It's finally getting to a place where I feel like it's less triggering because I've created my own meaning for Christmas that has nothing to do with the old religious ways of doing things. And your own baptism, marriage, dates, those can all be very triggering. So just paying attention to what's coming up for you. And this really all goes back to just being present and mindful with our bodies. Our bodies will tell us the information we need to know. But if you're working with deep triggers, if you're working with PTSD or CPTSD or religious trauma, sometimes things don't make sense. And I really do recommend hiring a professional that works with trauma in order to help you through the triggers because it's really helpful to have someone who understands what's going on, who can hold you in a safe place, guide you through it, and help you feel less shame about what you're experiencing because shame naturally increases the problem for us. Okay, without fail, there's going to be someone who's going to be like, you know what, there really is no such thing as religious trauma. And or you're, you're listening to this and you've experienced different trauma and you're like, yeah, but I mean, you went to church. That's not really traumatic. And that stems from this belief in society that we have that church is basically good and we can't experience anything harmful in an environment that is basically good. And so, yeah, we're going to just like dispel that right now. There are good things that happen at church, and there are also bad things that can happen at church, and there is no church that is exempt from having bad things because it's a human organization, which means that we're going to experience we're going to experience human flaws. I don't think anyone who's left religion expects religion to be a perfect place. However, when we combine toxic theology with authoritarianism. And authoritarianism is where there is a strong, charismatic, authoritarian leadership, and you have to do what they say you have to do in order to belong to the group. When you have toxic theology, which is theology that instills fear and shame into people, that employs polarized thinking, which is it's either right or it's wrong, it's good or it's bad, it's righteous or it's evil. And when you have an us versus them mentality of you're either with us or against us, yeah, you have the recipe for religious trauma. And so no one's expecting religion to be perfect, but we are expecting religion to be accountable and to change things that are harmful. And there are many harmful things that can happen in religious settings. So religious trauma has often been confused with CPTSD symptoms, depression, panic disorder. So when I'm talking about triggers, I'm not using them in a light, fluffy way. People are triggered exactly the way they would be if they've experienced CPTSD. 
And the reason I'm bringing this up right now is because when you've experienced CPTSD, so CPTSD is complex post-traumatic stress disorder, and it happens when you've experienced the same traumatic thing over a long period of time. PTSD often happens with one big traumatic event. CPTSD comes from like childhood neglect, childhood abuse, ongoing spousal abuse. That is why religious trauma syndrome so closely mimics CPTSD is because for many of us, we were raised in this environment and it became normal for us. And we had to continually deal with trauma throughout our lives. And we developed these coping mechanisms in order to deal with the trauma. We can also feel like we're crazy because that was our only reality. And living outside of that reality feels so foreign and confusing for many of us. Dr. Marlene Winnell, who coined the term religious trauma syndrome back in 2011, says, people who have not survived an authoritarian fundamentalist indoctrination don't realize what a complete mind rape it is. It literally rewires your brain. It makes it difficult to critically think. You don't develop normally because you're not allowed to develop in certain ways that differentiate you from the religion. It is a completely codependent experience, and it is abusive, and it is traumatic, and it is real. So yes, you can be triggered when you have religious trauma syndrome. People who are healing from religious trauma syndrome often experience intense bout of panic that come out of nowhere. They wrestle with feelings of confusion, paranoia, and rage. They have nightmares of going to hell being abandoned, or never seeing their family again. They might experience a roller coaster feeling with highs of freedom followed by lows of depression. The thrill of being able to do, wear, act, learn, whatever you want, followed quickly by grief and anger a moment later. And yes, you can be triggered by things that have never bothered you before, like going to church for a wedding or hearing a call to a prayer or even just hearing scripture in non-religious or religious spaces. These may have once been beautiful things for you that as your worldview changes or as you exit a church and experience the trauma of simply exiting the church become things that are highly traumatic for you or highly triggering. Now, I'm going to do an entire episode on religious trauma syndrome next week because there's simply too much to cover here. In fact, the reason I'm sitting here recording the day before this is going to drop is because the more I kept reading, the more I felt like I didn't know. And I finally was like, you know what? We're going to talk about triggers because people need to hear about this. And then I'm going to do my best to talk about religious trauma. And you guys, we are still learning about religious trauma. Every day we're learning more. This is something that is so brand new that... There's no way I can cover it all because we don't know it all. I'm going to share with you what I know because I know this for sure. When we're able to wrap words around our experience, when we're able to make sense of what has happened, it has less grip in our lives, and we're more confident and we're less likely to be gaslit by those who are still in and by those who don't understand our experience. I want you to understand that what you're going through is valid, that you deserve empathy, that you deserve compassion, and that there is hope for you to live a completely whole, joyful, and wonderful life. And all of these episodes are meant to help you find that healing and that understanding and that ability to take your power back and move forward. So, as imperfect as this is, As incomplete as this episode might be on triggers and as incomplete as the one next week might be on religious trauma syndrome, I felt like it was so important to put this information in one place so that you can begin to understand yourself, give yourself compassion, accept yourself where you are so that you can get what you want and learn to move through whatever is happening for you. To be able to listen to your body without shame, to just get curious and non judgmental with yourself. 
Now, if this episode, if you found that you yourself were being triggered or if you recognized, yeah, I am triggered by a lot of those things myself, I'm going to give you guys two exercises that you can do at home to help ground you and pull you out of the trauma response and back into your body. Now, this episode is not meant to replace therapy. If you have gone through something traumatic, please seek additional help. Please get help from a therapist that is trauma-informed or a coach that is trauma-informed. Have someone sit with you in this. You should not have to do this alone. For so many of us, sometimes we don't seek help because we're like, I already went through years of this trauma. I am not going to pay someone to help me with this. It's almost like we're trying to get back at the abuser, get back at the church, get back at the indoctrination, get back at our parents. Here's the thing, though, is when we enlist someone to be on our side, we move through it quicker and they have less power even faster. Does that make sense? We take back our identity. We take back our power. We take back our life quicker with help. So by all means, use this podcast. By all means, use these exercises I'm about to give you, but seek help if that's what you feel you need. Seek help. There is no shame in needing help. It is one of the most empowering, courageous things you will ever do. Reframe that in your mind. It is courageous to seek help. It is empowering And it is a beautiful gift you can give to yourself that allows you to move forward quicker. It is you taking the power from the people and the the doctrines and the teachings that have traumatized you and instead giving it back to yourself. So just want to put that in there. Okay, exercises. There are many things you can do whenever you're triggered, but these two are two of the easiest ones. One of them is grounding exercises. So we just went through the senses and your senses can actually help you ground in the present moment because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get out of the past where the trauma happened and back into the present moment where we are safe. What do I see right now? Notice anything you've never noticed before. I actually did this exercise last night with my husband just to like go through it again. It was nighttime. We were sitting in the living room and he said, tell me what you see that you've never seen before, or you haven't seen in this way. And I looked at the shadows and the way the light fell on the carpet. And I looked at a random light spot that was on the ceiling. And I noticed how we were bathed in a blue light coming from the screen. We were about to watch a show together. We were bathed in blue light but there was yellow warm light coming from the kitchen and just how those lights mixed together. And I noticed (laughs) the way the light hit some dust bunnies on the carpet that I need to vacuum and the way it hit certain books on the shelves and the way it bounced off the TV screen and just allowed myself to take in what I was seeing in a way that I hadn't seen it before. Next, we went with smells. I had just baked a pan of brownies. I could smell the brownies, but I could also smell the cleaner from the countertops I had used just before that and a candle that I had burning. And then he had me take my hands and smell my hands that smelled like lotion and to take my hair and smell my hair that smelled a little bit like wood-burning fire and shampoo. Just taking a moment to smell and get back in my body here in the present. Next, we paid attention to tastes. What could I taste? He had me take a drink of water. And as I sipped the water to describe what I was tasting, then we did touch. And I paid attention as the water slid down my throat down my esophagus and I could feel it go into my belly. It was ice water, so it was really cold. He had me take my hands and gently slide one hand over the other hand. 
across the palm of my hand and across the back of my hand and just feel, what does that feel like? Touch the fabric of the clothing you're wearing. What does that feel like? Allow yourself to run your hands through an animal's fur next to you. If you have a dog or a cat or to touch the couch, what does the leather or the cloth feel like? Really allow yourself to touch and just feel whatever it is you feel. Put your hand over your heart. Feel your heartbeat underneath your palm. Take a deep breath in and feel what that feels like to have the air expand your stomach and your lungs and your chest. Put your hands on your throat and feel yourself swallow. Feel the heartbeat in your throat. And then sound. He had me close my eyes and just listen to whatever sounds I could hear and name as many of them as I could. I could hear the the buzz of the DVD machine and I could hear a faint sound coming from our television and I could hear my son humming upstairs and I could hear the oven crackling as it cooled down. I could hear the candle sputtering a bit. What could I hear? I could hear cars driving past outside. And once you've done this, you'll bring yourself back down into your body. Now, it is important to to say that if you're being triggered, often you need to remove yourself from the trigger to do this grounding exercise. So go someplace where you feel safe. If you need to get in your car and drive away, that's fine. If you need to go out into the foyer, into your bedroom, into your closet, on a walk, go someplace where you feel safe and get back into your body in the present, out of the past and into the present, out of that disembodied place we sometimes go to when we don't feel safe. You know what I'm talking about where we get up into our head and our head starts spinning Or for some of us, we disembody completely and it feels like we're floating over our body and just sort of remote controlling our body, watching our body do the work, but we're not there. It's like we're floating up above. This brings us back down into the body. When we're in the body, then we can start to listen to the body's knowing. What does our body want and need from us? Often our body will tell us how it wants to move. Listen to that. Allow it to move the way it needs to move. Allow it to work through whatever energy is there, whatever emotion is there. Listen to your inner wisdom. It will guide you to exactly what you need to heal once you're back in touch with your body and present. Another way to get back in touch with your body is square breathing, and you can use this with the grounding exercises. I actually like to remove myself from the trigger and I square breathe first and then I ground. Square breathing is where you breathe in for a count of four slow seconds. You hold it for four seconds. You exhale for four slow seconds. And you hold for four slow seconds. When we're triggered often because we're in fight or flight, our breathing speeds up. Our heart rate speeds up and everything starts going really fast and we we are acting from a place of instinct. Square breathing slows everything down. Again, brings us back to the present where we can be mindful and allows us to act from intention instead of react from self-preservation. <sighs> I hope this was helpful, you guys. This was such a difficult podcast, mainly because as we talk about triggers, we revisit our own and it's meant to be that way. Triggers are not bad things. Triggers are simply ways that we have developed to protect ourselves, ways we've evolved to keep ourselves out of danger. And honestly, I'm finding that triggers can be really, really useful for me for healing When I'm looking for places where maybe I still have a wound and I still need to heal, I pay attention to where I get triggered. 
The triggers lead me to my wounds. The triggers lead me to my work. The triggers lead me to where I still feel unsafe. And it allows me to heal faster when I can look at those triggers with kindness, with compassion, with curiosity, and without judgment. I hope you're able to do this for yourself too. If you have questions about this or if you are concerned or if something doesn't make sense, please message me on Instagram. Please join the Facebook group or please email me. All of that, all of that information on how you can contact me and we can have more conversation will be in the show notes. You can even contact me on TikTok or Twitter if you want. Several people have. I love conversing with you. I love it when you take up space. I love it when you ask questions. I love it when you get curious. And I love our conversations. Thank you so much for holding space for me today and allowing me to hold space for you. Thank you for making this healing journey so much fun. Thank you for sharing your experiences with me and enriching my life. I adore getting to spend this time with you. And I look forward to next week. We'll be talking about one more difficult topic before I have a guest on and we talk about something maybe a little lighter. All right, I'll talk to you guys later. Thank you again. Please share this with anyone you feel like could use this help and this understanding. You guys have shared so much. It has grown this podcast so much. And I just want you to know how grateful I am that you're allowing me to help even more people. Because the more people we help, the healthier we all get, the healthier the next generation will be, the healthier we will be, the more joy we experience and just the more beautiful this life experience is for all of us. Thank you again. I adore you. And I'll see you next week.